JR, I guarantee, well, both of you, I guarantee you've seen David Moran's books 5,000 times. Don't tell me what I've seen. Anytime you've walked past. (laughs) You haven't walked past a bookshop or airport anything without seeing his dad's books for 30 years. What is a bookstore? You're not the boss of me. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't read one of them, JR. You know that I don't read biographies. I didn't know that at all. You do, we've, you've, you have expressed... Not your anger, but your disappointment yeah. at that so many times. Well, let me let me reassert my indignation. <laughs> I mean, you read histories. Sometimes. Why? I don't remember this. I feel like I haven't judged you enough if it's not fresh in my memory banks as this personal feeling. <laughs> like, like your favorite theologian. You wouldn't read a biography of that person? Why would I do that when I can just read their theology? Would you read an autobiography? Oh, even less likely to do that. I would, depending on the person. I don't I don't understand. I read biographies. I'm just here for the conversation. <laughs> right, but like JR, this this makes no sense coming from you. I, I, I just I don't understand. I don't need people to tell me who they are. I will tell them who they are. Right. Biographers. No, me. <laughs> Welcome to episode 336 of the Fascinating Podcast, a podcast about the fascinating people and events at the heart of our cultural conversations. I'm Kathy Kong. I'm Clay Morgan. And I'm J.R. Foresteros, Matt Michelotis, once again in the writer's room for Going Home Season 2. So he'll be back, you know, whenever. Yeah, at some point. So on this week's show, we're going to explore the spate of new shows, uh, pushing the envelope on representation, uh, the predictable backlash, and how we ought to respond. But speaking of representation... Have you? Kathy, I feel like this is a story that's like near and dear to your heart. It is kind of. Has anyone watched Lizzo playing not a magic flute? I mean, mean, that was magical. It was magical. I did not. did, Did James Madison actually play the flute? Do we know? Probably. Let's turn to our resident historian, Clay Morgan. Oh, man, I can't keep track of who played the violin and who played the harpsichord and who played the flute. If James Madison had a flute, probably because he played the flute. Mm. They were this one was crystal though. Yeah, so like it was the, a ceremonial flute. Wh- what does that mean? I thought you drank champagne out of those. You have your you have your everyday flute, and then you have your ceremonial flute. <laughs> Maybe he drank champagne out of his flute. I no. Flute's, flute's one of those they words, have a lot the more of, you say it, the more fun you start to have. <laughs> there are too many holes in that ceremonial flute to be able to hold any champagne, really. A reasonable amount of champagne, right? I guess, I suppose. So, Kathy, yeah. you, you are a flautist. I am. Apparently, people did not know this. I did not know yeah, this. Yeah, so I, I played the flute through high school. And then picked it up again for church. So played it off and on throughout the years um, into adulthood. And then I want to say maybe 15 years ago or so, 
Peter bought me not a crystal flute, but a very fancy silver open hole flute. Crystal flute, person. But it was not crystal, and nobody got angry when I played it. Why do you think people got angry when Lizzo played James well, so Madison? Say, so this is it's like a two hundred year old flute. It's in the Library of Congress. And Lizzo, for those who don't know, is a classically trained flautist. Yes. Um, she frequently plays flutes in during her concert. That's like part of part of the concert. And so she not only uh, the, actually the Library of Congress shared a tweet of Lizzo being presented with a flute and playing a few notes on it, but then they also allowed her to play it in her concert that night in Washington D.C. Uh, so she twerked with it. <laughs> And that seems to have been what put a few people over the edge, including everyone's favorite uh, Looney Tune right-wing blogger, Matt Walsh, right? Um, So people people were outraged that, I mean, we all know what the real reason is, right? It's because Lizzo is black and female and larger and was allowed to do something in public, I guess, you know? Um, but I don't know, Clay, how you, like, I'd love to hear you speak to this because what, 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 what the, what the few loud complainers were complaining about was talking about how it was like desecrating the legacy of James Madison (laughs) or disrespecting, you know, disrespecting this instrument that has not been played in 200 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, I know both professionally and personally have a, a pretty, a pretty long history with, presidential mm. artifacts. So, mm. so what, like, what is, do you, do you have a sense of like the larger conversation that this would be participating in? Well, first of all, important podcast housekeeping. I think I did know that Kathy played the flute and I think some eagle eared listeners. Yeah. Would remember that the eagles, eagles famously have very sharp ears. <laughs> bad ears. Some of our bat eared <laughs> listeners will remember <laughs> Kathy speaking about the flute on a previous episode. Uh, listeners, hit us up online and let us know if you do, in fact, remember. I feel like this has come up. And if you have eagle ears or bat ears, <laughs> yeah, because I definitely. feel like that's also important. Definitely let us know if you have eagle ears. But um, as you said, JR, I am obsessed with historical preservation. And First of all, I didn't have James Madison's flute like on my bingo card (laughs) as one of those treasured objects. I understand it's engraved with his name or something like that. Yes. The the biggest thing about historical preservation, you know, is when there are easy ways that our interaction and contact with the item degrades the item, right? In the case of crystal, it's not like this item being used is going to do that, right? So there's actually not a real preservation concern here. It It is just essentially the symbolic nature of it. I don't know if any of these fools who, like, are all up in arms, or, I mean, first of all, if you follow them out, what's his name, Matt Walsh, that guy? Yeah. Uh, I just, mm-hmm. I try to block him out, but. There's probably not a large Venn diagram of, Fascinating listeners and like that's not probably not a big overlapping. That's probably true. We're way too woke for that. But yeah, um, no, I would say I, I, first of all, I don't think any of it is authentic outrage. You know, it's just people who are just hangry. Uh, I don't think it actually does anything to damage. If anything, it has raised awareness about something about James Madison, who is often called the father of the Constitution. If those listeners out there don't know. Uh, Madison was one of the first few presidents, right? You got Washington, Adams, Madison, Jefferson, 
Right, oh, there's so, a song? Washington Adams, Jefferson. Yeah. Jefferson, <laughs> Madison, Monroe. So he's number four. He's number four. And uh, who knows? He may have played the flute when they were in the Revolutionary War. You know, they always had like... Um, he's the guy in all the paintings. He, oh, holding the flute. He oh. is the, he's in the paintings. He famously oh. was... Um, you know, James Madison is, is the reason we have Hail to the Chief. He, was, he wrote that on the flute? No, no, no. He didn't write it on the flute. <laughs> 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 he... Uh, he he was not a very tall man. He was a short man. He was often unwell physically. Uh, people were shocked that he lived to outlive like everybody that was in the room at the Constitutional Convention. But um, he would walk into a room and like people wouldn't know. And Dolly Madison, his famous wife, you know, said this is not really appropriate. And so like, can we can we get a little pomp and circumstance? And so he was the first guy to have intro music. Uh, first guy or first president. To have a, like a walk-up song. Well, I'm just thinking like like the WWE tradition goes back to James Madison. As well. uh, in American lore, that's probably true, right? Although they always played walk-up music for Washington. Like when Washington rode into town, you know, he was... And I'm sure what was his walk-up music? I mean, they would just riff. It was, I'm sure it was just a lot of snare and, and trumpeting <laughs> and such. And maybe some flute. Maybe yeah. a little flute. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, sorry, Madison. That was not a joke aimed at you. I meant a small amount of flute music, not a tiny flute player. See, I have to recuse myself from any conversations about uh, height. Um, but anyway. Because you're a giant? Yeah, it, it just doesn't go well when I try to enter into conversations about that. But yeah, so, hey, we have learned so much. Look at us. We're talking about James Madison. Lizzo has done the Founding Fathers a freaking service, if you ask me. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I want to circle back because I, as I was putting together show notes for today, I kept going digging for the people who were actually angry because most of my timeline, carefully curated as it is, is people angry about the people being angry. Mm. So I was going through and trying to find like, who are, who are the actual people that are making these complaints? Yeah. Are they, are they actually are real? Are they angry? Are they real? Are there real people who are really there, angry? There are, but there is a a small number of them. And to Clay's earlier point, a lot of this does seem like outrage that has been manufactured in order to consolidate a conservative identity. Mm. Um, not all of it. I mean, certainly, but, but, it's, but a lot of it in this case, you know, I was, I was trying to find who is actually angry at Lizzo and there were very few uh, names that kept coming up. Uh, it seemed like a couple of different people, uh, kept coming up as the people who were driving a lot of this story that otherwise, to your point, Clay, should have just been a celebration of American history and Americana and how right. Lizzo is this new incarnation of what it means to be an American musician uh, in some really cool ways. What, you know? I, what I really want to see, I mean, we've got some incredible talent these days. I want to see somebody bust out Calvin Coolidge's harmonica. That's gonna be the good. Could we get that move. to Springsteen? <laughs> we could. We could. He's going on tour next year. Oh, there you go. All so right. Silent well, cow. What know. we need is the Library of Congress to tweet out that they would like him to play the harmonica, which is what happened, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was somebody yeah. in charge tweeted out and said, Hey, I see that Lizzo, you're in DC for a concert, would love to have you come play. And her performance was amazing. Nothing now, like hearing a classically trained performer perform on their instrument and just, it was amazing. As, it was as any flautist would attest. Yes. 
Now, you know, it's also true that we don't have a strong, like there's not a Netflix uh, origin story about Madison's flute. It's not like, you know, uh, a great Charles Dickens, you know, serialization of the James Madison flute has come down to us and that this is a story people are really passionate about. Like this is pretty much an obscure, unknown object. And people could still get mad about it just because of whatever. But today we're talking about other properties, specifically stories and pop culture properties that have been uh, revisited, renewed, shared in a different format. And there's a lot of instances we're seeing in recent months and years where people are getting angry about how they feel their stories and their favorite pop culture properties are being updated, changed, and in their many voices, ruined. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think the biggest, as I was thinking through this, the biggest one that was on my radar early on was when the new Star Wars sequels came out. The J.J. Abrams? Had, yeah, you had a you had a a white woman, a black man, and a Latino man uh, who were the three core. Whereas before it was a white guy, a white guy, and a white woman, right? Um, <laughs> and a dog man. There was a I, woman. I'm sorry. Apologize to you. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Last Jedi came out. It was, uh, you know, there, were, there was a small vocal minority of the fan base that disliked it. And... For some inexplicable reason, mm -hmm. uh, the person who received an overwhelming majority of the hate was Kelly Marie Tran. Now, I don't know what set her apart from all of the other mm -hmm. actors. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what marked her out as different. Um, it's it's a mystery we'll probably never solve. Kathy, uh, but any, <laughs> any guesses there? Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, people just, didn't like that she was shorter. Mm. Mm, could be. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she literally was driven off of social media by the amount of vitriol that was waged against her. Uh, even even more and uh, sharper, crueler than was directed at the director, writer-director Ryan Johnson, you know? Um, and, by, but, and by the way, JR, as a story expert and a professional critic of pop culture, in your estimation, not only is Last Jedi not terrible, you would actually classify it how? I mean, I say it's my favorite Star Wars movie. It's 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 just above Empire for me. But, you know, our own Matt Michelotis disagrees. There are a lot of people who disagree. Um, it's hard to say it's a bad movie, though, right? Like, when you watch it, it's 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 very competently made. And it wasn't the worst <laughs> by any stretch by of the yeah, yeah, right. They just so, don't like anyway. short people. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that must be it, yeah. Uh, so, so Last Jedi was one of the first movies uh, that I remember hearing a conversation around what has become known as review bombing, which is where fans, I'm going to use that term as loosely and generously as possible, of a property will go on to a public review database like IMDb or Amazon or somewhere where, where you can input your own, you know, customer or viewer uh, review, and they will intentionally leave one-star reviews, uh, often before the piece of media has even been released, uh, which means they cannot even have seen it yet, right? They're, they're, they're doing this as, as a protest. Now, I found this super interesting. Uh, the first 
time the term review bomb was ever used was back in 2008 uh, around the release of a video game called Spore, hmm. which I, I hmm. never played that game. But apparently the company that released Spore, if you bought it, you were only able to install it three times. And that, so if like if you got a new computer or something like that, or you wanted to play it at your friend's house or whatever, you could only install it three total times, and then your license expired, and you'd have to buy the game again. It was done. It was done to uh, limit piracy, which was a you know big deal for video game industry, software piracy. But uh, re- like uh, players felt like they were not getting to own the thing that they had purchased, and so the 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 one star reviews were a form of protest against stick it to yeah, the man. I mean, yeah. Uh, which I just think is interesting, right? Because I mean, in that particular case, I I would tend to side more with the the players than the company, right? And saying like, yeah, this is probably not like the most consumer friendly way to fight. But right. I mean, it's no different than what you buy Microsoft Office, and right. you can. I mean, now the model is very different now. Oh, I mean, you pay I hate now. But like it used to be, you get the discs, and you could put it on enough devices that basically, I never ran out of license uses by the time. Right. You know what I mean? And in this and, case, and, like, and Spore was very limited. Yeah. And they're like, right. only this three. Is, this that is does probably seem a lot of, of people who are giving it to their friends. And I'm sure they probably were doing something that seemed reasonable. Like mm, maybe. Have, yeah. Um, but so I think about too, uh, when, when the boys was first released on Amazon prime, Amazon released it weekly. And a bunch of people were angry that they couldn't just watch all the episodes of the boys at once. So <laughs> Imagine boys. growing up. <laughs> decades earlier when you actually had to walk to the tv to change the channel (laughs) yeah and then you had to wait all summer to see how a cliffhanger resolved itself yes and sometimes you had to adjust the rabbit ears yeah yeah (laughs) uh uh you just let me know if i'm too far in y'all's lawn okay um (laughs) uh, all of it to say i think it's interesting that review bombing does have this like protest history that then has been brought over into uh, this protest against representation. So when the the all-female Ghostbusters reboot trailer dropped, people were... Uh, that was that uh, was my, per- my personal brush, by the way. I don't know if you recall, I wrote about that movie on normalrogers.com, yeah. and I, I shared it at the time on Facebook, and I actually uh, boosted the post. And it ended oh. up getting this massive engagement, like numbers I had never seen. And then this whole slew of like Gamergate bros um, were commenting on it. And like, I was like, hey, thanks for the traffic. But it was clearly, you know, some little like cesspool where they had formed and decided we need to go out and find anybody who says anything positive about this movie and like go attack that thread, right? Like little trolls. Because they didn't like the short women. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a high Um, factor. It's funny. It's funny that you, um, that you uh, bring up Gamergate because that was another really famous, uh, really toxic fandom that was kicked off and crystallized in a way around a, a comic book cover of the Marvel hero Mockingbird where the titular hero is standing on the front of the cover and she's wearing a t-shirt that says, ask me about my feminist agenda. And, (laughs) and that, that is, that was the, 
Uh, that was the, yeah, crystal flautized. Thank you, Clay, uh, in the chat. Yes. Um, no, it crystallized the the anger around what we now call Gamergate, which is this, it was one of the, the really toxic fandoms that- And it's uh, still there. I driving. mean- Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lost some momentum, but certainly Gamergate is out there. Um, so, you know, when Captain Marvel came out, same thing. It was the first Marvel movie to have a female lead and Brie Larson, the star of Captain Marvel is a very outspoken feminist. And so a lot of people were mad about it. Um, you even have stuff like the Snyder cut movement, uh, the Zack Snyder bros who, uh, it was recently revealed in a big report, I think by the New York times that that was almost entirely all, Bots. <laughs> that, that Good grief. That, that drove that movement as well. Um, and, and oh so, my goodness, so if it isn't bad enough, the number of people that are willing to just feign anger and troll, like now the fact that you can just uh, replicate them through bots this easily. Right. And like real actual people are, who are thoughtful are responding to this. It's already yeah. garbage when it's from a real person. Now it's just like automated. Uh, automated garbage. Imagine uh, that. <laughs> So, Clay, you you suggested this when we were doing our season planning because there is a slew of new properties that have been released or are currently releasing that have, uh, I wouldn't say resurrected because it's not like this. Uh, it never went away. never went away. But certainly there's a new, uh, with all of these coming out at the same time, right? So mm-hmm. the Sandman series on Netflix cast Kirby uh, uh, Howe Baptiste from The Good Place as Death. And in the comic that Neil Gaiman made up, uh, Death is White, in the show that Neil Gaiman runs for Netflix, uh, it, she's black, right? And people were like, oh, this is horrible. And also, uh, there's uh, the, the show is pretty queer, uh, w- which is actually just like the comic, and people were angry about that. We but, have but, a League of Their but, Own. But, but don't skip that one, right? And League of, the, League of Their okay. Own is the great tie-in. Because, uh, I mean, you told me the Sandman is one of the greatest comics ever like years ago and i just i just didn't get around to reading it right because it's expensive or you got to go through you know uh uh an omnibus or something like that so when i finally did it um a couple years ago to me i remember thinking like wow this was like from 1989 1990 but just the actual text that was already there it stands out you know it stands out it would it's, it's just like people, if, if somebody would have a problem with the stand, like, go read what he did in 1980. You know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> right. it's not like there's anything surprising. So uh, you're talking about something that fundamentally was always a certain way. And in A League of Their Own, which you're about to talk about, we're talking about actual history, which we referenced right. on the show recently um, with Andrew Mar- Marinus. Yeah, that's right. Um, League of Their Own was a beloved movie in 1993 about um, women playing professional baseball during World War II. And they brought the show back. Uh, they turned it into, sorry, they turned it into a TV show. Complete reboot, not a sequel or anything like that. Complete, complete reboot. It's just a new retelling. And that's right. And it is, uh, as as many critics who love the show are saying, it is super, super gay. <laughs> right? like is, and people um, don't like that. Imagine. Right. But what, what, what I find fascinating, and one of the reasons that I was actually not planning to watch the show in the first place, but because... I thought to myself, oh, this this is a classic Hollywood cash grab. Like when people complain, they're out of ideas, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like why remake a movie that was already great, right? And what turned me around was when 
the people in charge of the show said, you know, when we did the movie, we didn't have the space culturally or literally space in a two hour movie to tell the gay stories. And, and queerness was such a central part of so many of these women's experience of this time. We wanted to be able to tell that again. And so, well, yeah. And yeah, because the women who experience, who actually lived the history also didn't have the space. Because review bombing might come from 2008, but it's not the first time in history or American history that we've canceled or tried to cancel like properties, right? And look at McCarthyism. Look at what was happening in that time. Like literally content creators, most famously Hollywood, and of course a lot of writers, you know, and people who bridged it like Dalton Trumbo or whoever, they very much were shut down because what they believed was going to impact what they created, right? So yep. that's the same era in which the women of A League of Their Own are living right. and, and hiding that's their the identity. Thing. Right, and that's the thing with A League of Their Own is that it's not just, it's not fiction. We're not talking about a comic book. We're not talking about Star Wars or a fantasy trilogy. We're talking about people's actual lives and what was documented in what time and does what gets does the story that gets told change when current times have shifted and i think yes but apparently that's also not okay right right so let's <laughs> let's go through a couple of other um of the of the current things then then we really want to get into actually Picking this apart. So Rings of Power, the new Lord of the Rings show that set 6,000 years before, uh, you know, the the trilogy has a black elf and black hobbits. Uh, And people are saying that this is, you know, uh, erasing Tolkien's legacy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've already talked about Tolkien's uh, spotty (laughs) history with race. Um, there also have been a ton of people, including Neil Gaiman, who point out that hobbits are actually many of the hobbits are actually brown uh, in in Tolkien's work. So having black hobbits is actually fine. Uh, and then in Marvel, we've had two shows recently: Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk. I think which those of us on the show that have seen those have really enjoyed overall, uh, and they have been victims of review bombs. So on IMDb. Uh, the percentage of one-star reviews for all of the Marvel shows, except for Miss Marvel and She-Hulk, the the worst-reviewed one of them was Moon Knight. Okay, Moon Knight had four point eight percent one-star reviews. Are you talking about okay. as like a, as a season or as an episode? Yes, as okay. a season, as a season. Okay, so you got a Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? You got a Loki, you got a WandaVision, you got any of the other Marvel Hawkeye, right? Any of their Marvel shows. The worst reviewed one is Moon Knight, and it had 4.8% one-star reviews, okay? Ms. Marvel has 22.2% one-star reviews, and She-Hulk, which is not even finished, (laughs) right, as of time of recording, it will be by the time the episode's released, but we haven't even been able to see the final episode yet, 35.8% one-star reviews. Mm, And She-Hulk isn't short. Like she's tall when she's in She-Hulk <laughs> so, form. So weird, right? Weird. Um, She-Hulk, interestingly, for those who have watched it, you've seen that they incorporate a lot of social media commentary into She-Hulk. Like people commenting about 
the character of She-Hulk in the show She-Hulk. And uh, many of those comments and rev- uh, Instagram comments and Twitter uh, tweets and things like that apparently have actually been taken from actual things that real people said about the show. <laughs> the show yes. just put them into the- perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> and again, we could have a conversation about the quality of She-Hulk as a show. It is very different for Marvel. And it is a vibe that will not be for everybody. It's also a vibe that might be refreshing if you're just tired of seeing superhero, origin, bad alien, fight. You know, like there's a lot of stuff. Or men in tights fighting (laughs) each other all the time. Yeah. That genre is a little boring. Spandex is your friend. But I I would say (laughs) that very famously in what became the pilot of She-Hulk, there's this moment where Bruce is like, it's going to take months for you to be ready to control this. And like, she's got it. And her her <laughs> rationale is like, I'm a woman and I basically have to control my rage all the time. So this thing that like you figured out, Bruce, after years of trying, <laughs> like it's basically my default emotional perspective. And that's what set off so much of the backlash. Like, oh, this is so woke, man, just because she's a woman. Blah, blah, blah. Which is so funny because (laughs) then the reaction from the men proved once again that y'all don't have control over your feelings and feel quite the privilege to emote over something that has nothing to do with you, isn't about you, but you're still mad because it isn't about you. And I've watched... Um, we are up to date on She-Hulk, and I loved Ms. Marvel. And Ms. Marvel is another one of those. It was the least watched Marvel show on Disney+. Plus. Um, but it also scored the highest numbers amongst viewers in this key range of like 20 to 24. Wait, and it also, you mean the, the demographic that yeah. multinational companies spend billions of dollars trying right. to win over? It's strange. And they drew a much more diverse audience, black, Hispanic, Asian households watching it at a higher rate, which is really remarkable since we too also have issue with short people. So, (laughs) um, and I, and I remember talking with folks, like even in my own household, Peter and Corbin were not like, Ooh, Ms. Marvel. And I was like, you need to watch this. I need you to see this because it is a superhero origin story that is told from a different viewpoint that I think even for us as a family could really benefit from. Um, But the backlash was similar. It was like, what? This isn't blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, what a shame that our imagination is so limited. And Especially, that's especially sad for Ms. Marvel because it is literally Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is a teenager, gets superpowers, doesn't want to tell their family, and is trying to figure out how to balance being a teenager and being a superhero. Like, it is what everyone loves about the Spider-Man story, and it says Ms. Marvel. And that, that was true in the Ms. Marvel comics, right? Right. So it's, it, yeah. I, She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel are pretty far and away my two favorite Marvel TV properties. They're smart. I think they're just The shows are smart and they're funny and I and and that monologue in She-Hulk I had seen kind of trend on social media and and then watched it and I was like, yeah, this is exactly the feeling 
any woman who's been in any kind of meeting, (laughs) social experience, you know, we do that all the time. And yet it, it resulted in a huge backlash. Tell me why. And again, especially because she's in corporate America, right? She's in like, she's a lawyer in Manhattan. She's a lawyer. Um, it is so much more so in that ridiculous context. It makes sense. And if you explore that and the implications of a superhero, like why wouldn't this be a possible experience that could happen? It, it actually in a very fictitious universe kind of makes some sense, you know? So it's right. not even like it's a huge stretch in any kind of way. Um, but beyond superheroes who are longstanding beloved stories in many cases, uh, we've already mentioned Disney a couple times, right? And so, Jr., you were looking at some numbers on the new Little Mermaid. I, oh, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of conversation about Little Mermaid. <sighs> wow! But again, so I have two. But again, what I've almost exclusively seen is people annoyed or angry that people are annoyed and angry. Um, when I, I had to go hunting for who are the people that are actually complaining about that this. aren't Matt Walsh. Um, well, Matt Walsh is the stupidest one, um, <laughs> as, as it turns out. Um, so it, uh, and again, unless you think this is all manufactured, uh, it did receive 2 million dislikes on YouTube, the trailer, the little teaser trailer, which was amazing, terrific, uh, yeah. Um, but it, this is all because the lead actress is black instead of white. And so uh, Matt Walsh, when he was complaining about Hollywood going woke, said that it's not scientifically... Uh, it's not scientific that a mermaid would be black because <laughs> when you're deep under the sea, you don't get sun, and so you would most likely be translucent. Uh, to which people responded with many, many examples Matt Walsh, of creatures big lover that of live. Science, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, well, they they responded with many, many uh, actual photographs of creatures that live very deep in the ocean that are, are black. Right, they're not um, translucent. So. So not only uh, is it silly to talk scientifically about mer people, uh, but then even when he did, he people of mer. Idiot. So yeah, um, this is this is classic Matt Walsh though. He he di- he does this when he gets proven wrong. Uh, he doesn't retract because again he's he is an outrage uh, monkey. Just, he's not actually just someone. Yeah, who it, you said it. Just a sidebar. I I understand that if you are that obnoxiously ignorant that people talk about you like we're talking about we're saying his name on this show i just i can't i can't fathom being a person who would choose some level of people knowing about me to to be that despicable to gain that i would just rather be anonymously normal than to be known for being one of the worst like right but he's also probably wealthy because he's getting and paid. He, right, right. Well, and he needs and, to keep that up in order to yeah. maintain his level of wealth. That's right. And the only reason I've brought him up twice now is because there are still a, a significant number of people, primarily people who claim to be Christian, who do listen to him and follow him. And he is the one, like, they're the people that his outrage is for, right? And so I, I thought it would be worth uh, some time here at the end of our show to just talk about some of the bigger issues here. So first of all, uh, what Matt Walsh and the clown car tend to do with this media is call it woke. 
And I wanted to ask if that is language we should be using here. So the first thing that came to mind was SJWs. I remember, uh, I mean, you and Matt, so <laughs> there was there was a particular like um, demo that was like, all oh, these SJWs. And I was like, what? I don't even know what that is. Like it had already <laughs> gone from social justice warrior to SJW. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And why is it bad? And, and Matt was like, oh, it stands for social justice warrior. And I'm like, oh, so you're known as somebody who stands up for social justice? Like, how is that a pejorative? And, and that was just kind of like the first, when you say, well, woke, like, well, we talk about the great awakening is like this awesome thing. Like, we, don't we want to wake up from being asleep on key things? And isn't, isn't it a good thing to be a person who's awake and aware and focused on? So it's, it's just in general weird that you, know, you take something like positive or, yeah, but just obviously good and, and positive and make it bad, but... But I think that's the Um, thing is it's not obviously positive to a good segment now of people and people, I think all four of us, I'm going to speak for Matt, are adjacent to. We all know you're not the same person anyway. (laughs) Because we've never been in the room together. So (laughs) I think that that's that's the running assumption is that we can't assume that everybody thinks that this is a good thing. And that people don't understand well, our beliefs have shifted over time and that that is a good thing. Again, I, I've learned over the last 10 years, never assume that the person next to me thinks progress or change is a good thing. Or And t- certainly, certainly Walsh and co are not using woke as a positive no. thing. No. Right. No, just like SJW was not right. a positive thing. Um, but I, I think as somebody who's been accused of that and those words have been used at me, on me, in that way, I don't care because it's one word or another. I mean, the words are going to change and the terminology is going to change, but I think at the core is the conversation we're trying to have, right, is, well, why is this pushing buttons for people. Why is this bothering people? And I do think that there is a, there are a number of people in this world and particularly here in the U S are not comfortable with the changes that have been happening over time. And they are realizing that they can't control certain things that they have assumed would never change. And, and, and important in some cases, the change Kathy is, more people are just acknowledging what always was. It's not even like anything new has happened. Right. It's just now we can actually tell the truth about the past. Right. That's all we're doing. Right. Right. And Um, it's being disseminated broadly faster, right? And I think that's the plus side to social media and the interwebs is that people have access to information. So now I can look up at the Library of Congress, what, how many flutes do they have? And apparently they have James Madison's hair as well, which is kind of creepy. But <laughs> that, that wasn't available to us 15 years ago at the speed it's now. So The flip side is the same tools being used to share this information that's always been true, historic, is now being used by people who are pushing against an expanded narrative. So it's not even a changed narrative. It's just that we didn't know. We didn't know 
that James Madison had a crystal flute just sitting there collecting dust. <laughs> they probably dust. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably right? taken no really shade, good care of. No shade at the library. Of right. I'm Congress. sure it's there. They dust it, treat it really well. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, so, so I think it's interesting that the right has tried to co-opt the word woke to use it as an insult. It very much, uh, ha- it very much has become code for black, mm-hmm. uh, w- which again on the right is viewed as negative or less than. I am only ever called woke by angry white men, um, which is as it should be, right? I mean, I, I, I certainly am. That that is a that is language that I think comes from and belongs to uh, marginalized resistance. And as a cis white hetero dude, um, it's just not language that I think ever reasonably should apply to me. Um, I might aspire to be woke, but I I have no business calling myself woke in any meaningful capacity. Um, so I'm sort of flattered when angry white guys call me woke, but uh, also I know that they don't know what they're talking about either. So um, I think it's uh, like you both have said, what is maybe a better category is to talk about this in terms of representation, right? And, and holistic storytelling. Um, what, what we keep hearing from the actual people who are actually complaining about this um, is erasure. That was a big. That was a big uh, uh, word that got kicked around a lot by people who are angry about the Rings of Power show. This is the erasure of Tolkien's legacy. The erasure of of his story. Uh, and then, actually, Washington Post ran a really interesting article uh, several years ago when. Uh, the actress who this kills me. Her name is Halle Bailey. Not so. I kept thinking. I kept expressing surprise that Halle Berry was the new Little Mermaid. <laughs> and it's like no, no, no. It's no. Halle Bailey. I had to slow down and read more carefully. Um, so that when when it was first announced that she was going to play Ariel, uh, there was you know a lot of anger. And the the Washington Post ran a really interesting op ed talking about how this is white nostalgia, right? Like mm. looking back even for the days, the good when old all days, of the media when all of the media was all white, mm-hmm. right? Um, when your mermaids and your princesses and your Jedi were all white, you know, your, your flautists, <laughs> all of them, everyone, everyone's white. Um, so, so I think that's interesting because it really gets at this question of like, who owns these stories? You know, uh, does Tolkien own Lord of the Rings? Not anymore. Amazon nope. bought it for $250 I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, capitalism and empire. That's so interesting. Yeah. When yeah. the wheels then um, force a kind of change that the white majority can't control, even though it still does control it, <laughs> really, but then starts to change and move the story in a different direction. And again, hobbits are not real people. Well, that, that it's also not just who owns it, but who feels that they own it, right? So before, two, right. long before 2008, um, so I was never accused by anybody of being a hipster. Um, I just, I just didn't fit into that kind of mold. And in the 90s, you know, in the famous Gen X world, I remember thinking, like when I would interact at college with other kids who just hated everything or like a song would come out. Right. And I would like the song and there would be like a certain kind of like demo. And I could like put this composite guy like at 3am at Denny's where, you know, he would be across the table from me 
smoking cigarettes and being like, man, this is just complete garbage. What a bunch of sellouts. And like, I would just be like, I don't know. Like, don't you like want to be famous and make money? If, if, if you get that by your third album as a musician, isn't that a good thing? So like in general, just the whole, like, there's, there's a certain type of person who's like, they are famous because we bought their original work because we bought their albums and now they've got to album three and I can't believe everybody has their albums. So I don't like it. Right. Like (laughs) that to me has always been stupid. And I know there's a lot of people I really like get along with and love that, that have had that kind of like mindset. Maybe they're just more critical than me in general. I'm just not like great at that. However, I don't know. Like I, I, it's just, there's something about toxic fandom and don't forget the root the, the root fan is for fanatic right like we we're talking about fanatical people in general when we talk about how we love and obsess over things that there's just this weird sense of ownership that isn't real especially when it comes to you are famous because of me and you owe something to me Especially when fundamentally as humans, we are completely different. We never had anything in common except I created something that you loved. You created something that I love. So funda- fundamentally, I'm always trying to like sort out how that works. But you, you, you do see that with comics and with Star Wars. You know, when we were all much younger, it was not cool to like those things. And so often the kids who gravitated towards that kind of stuff did feel marginalized or left out. That's why you related to Peter Parker or the various ex-persons or whoever, right? Um, I mean, I, I think it's I think it matters that the most popular comic book people are orphans and people who got kicked out of their homes and stuff like that, right? Like Iron Man was never the most popular, you know, the, the billionaire playboy until the movie came out, right? Like the people who were the most famous in the comics were, were these other people. And I, I was thinking too, like we've talked before on the show about how comics, uh, sci-fi, fantasy these these stories that we really have been talking about a lot, even Little Mermaid, right? These are mm-hmm. our these are the way we mythologize today, right? These are the way we tell stories that help us understand who we are and what we value and all of that. And so there is a sense in which a person who is conservative, in the most literal sense, they are trying to conserve something. Um, may be rightfully angry that these shows are becoming more broad because what is being challenged is this narrower vision of America that says it's only for tall white people, right? Um, <laughs> uh, what you know, white white people, white men, whatever, and so so that we are telling more of these mythologizing kinds of stories that uplift women, that uplift queer people, that uplift minorities, and say that they are a part of the American story in this foundational and important way, it is actually challenging to a particular thing that obviously on the show all of us agree is not worth conserving. Um, but if you are a person who, who, who thinks that is worth conserving, I think... <laughs> You should be mad about what's happening because we are trying to take away your story. Yeah, in the same right? way, we are it's so trying to exciting your- for uh, we heard when Black Panther came out, right? So many mm-hmm. people of color were like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the hero on screen, I never get to see this. And mm-hmm. we've had these conversations with the Asian properties in recent years, 
it's like, well, finally, an A-list right. big tent thing that looks like me, that's for me. And right. white people at the same time uh, ha- maybe having experience of like, wait, an A-list tentpole thing that doesn't look like me. It's not about me. Like, what, what, what's, what's gone wrong now in my construct? Right. Or trying to make it about you or how much you like it or how much you <laughs> see yourself in that, attack, right? It's not dude. It's just like right. a story that looks different than you. Well, and I don't think it's even trying to take anything away, JR. Like, it, it, is, it is trying to expand. And so as people who are, like you said, conserving and trying to conserve, I'm not trying to take, a, I'm not trying to take that away. You can have your very fair-skinned, red-headed, animated little mermaid. You can have that. Um, that was actually the first movie Bethany got to see in the theater when she was a child. We remember this. So we can keep that, but we can add more stories and we can change the color of the mermaid. <laughs> Which, again, the words coming out of my mouth sound ridiculous, but apparently it's really offensive to a lot of people that we can change those fictional stories to address and awaken the imagination of younger generations who then will go on to create better, newer stories. Uh, when Black Panther came out, there was someone who tweeted, wow, can you imagine if Marvel made a movie about a white guy who was the king of this like secret white kingdom and he went around saving white people? And someone responded, you mean Thor, right? Because there's already three of those. You, there's already three of those movies. And I think that's your point, right? Like, Yeah, it, it's not, we're not taking anything away in that process, right? We're not canceling <laughs> those other stories were expanding them. And I think that like all of the examples that we have, that's, that's what's happening, right? Is that Mm -hmm. nobody decided that, Oh, I don't know. um, (laughs) The original little mermaid cannot exist because it's not politically correct. Disney is not destroying all the copies. No, it's not. And Disney on a business level chooses to take certain movies off of production and they're, they're no longer available. They don't sell them. And so not because you mean like song of the South. Mm, yeah. That, <laughs> that one, mm, that's probably Which a they good have actually move. Tried to erase yes. Because it was super racist. It was super and obviously racist as opposed to subtly and not so yeah. explicitly racist things that they have produced. But you know, it's just like making any book, you know, it's a first edition. There are only going to be so many copies. They'll take movies up and down. They do that on streaming now as well. But I think that, uh, you know, you asked, we as we were kind of prepping for this show, um, the question was asked, what is the purpose of these stories? And I think it's not just nostalgia, <laughs> And I think that's where people who are conservative love to stay, right? It's to expand and it's to grow. Otherwise, we die. Well, I don't want to die. Both, I don't know if you caught this. You both separately said the word imagination in the context of this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't think of us going there, but th- I think that's an interesting word. That 
in addition to all of the ways that closed-mindedness hurts us, it completely caps and limits our imagination, right? Which impacts future possibility. And it literally, the most famous speech of the 20th century, I have a dream, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. about imagining a better and different world. And it was so radical that we're still talking about it all these decades later. Um, and we can certainly see imagination used in the pop culture that we consume in ways that could make a better future. But if you absolutely are full of hate and going to react to anything that doesn't take us backwards, then you are the opposite of imagination. And that's sad. And that limits us in our future. All right. Well, uh, we're out of time. So we're going to have to leave this for a follow-up show and for, of course, lively conversation on social media. Uh, But before we go, I got to know what's fascinating y'all this week. So, uh, Kathy, what do you got? I am watching on Netflix uh, Hasan Minhaj's uh, The King's Jester. Um, So it's his comedy special. I got to see it live when it was out here in the Chicago suburbs, and it was hilarious. Super fun, super funny. And I love how he kind of does this masterful, draw you in, emotionally serious story and then turns it on you. And then you laugh and cry and then question whether or not you're a good person. So loved that. How about you, JR? Uh, I am loving, I just finished a book called The Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik. It was the third and final book in her Scholomance series, which is like a way better Harry Potter with an author author who is not a turf. So um, it's just a terrific, terrific series. Uh, I don't know why more people aren't talking about it because it's hilarious. It's gripping. The mysteries are awesome. The characters are terrific. Uh, I just absolutely loved it. So, Golden o- Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik. What you got, Clay? Nice. <clears throat> so, um, Matt, you know, famously did his uh, great C.S. Lewis reread on tour.com for like three or four years. And I, I, I didn't read a lot of the books, you know, but I, I really enjoyed the last article. So, he, he did the end of all stories. You should check it out. While I was there checking out Matt's stuff on tour.com, I noticed that they also had a Terry Pratchett book club. I'm not sure why Terry Pratchett isn't more famous. Um, Speaking of Neil Gaiman, like they famously collaborated Good Omens and multiple things. And um, Terry Pratchett, who passed away a few years ago, uh, he created the Discworld series in the early 1980s. And Sir Terry Pratchett, that is. Uh, JR, do you not have Terry Pratchett on your radar? Because I've always wondered why you haven't like read everything of his. Terry Pratchett is super famous. What do you mean? But people just don't talk about Pratchett stuff as much as they do about a lot of the other, like, I'm talking top. Like, you need to hang out in fantasy circles. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> that's probably very true. Okay, but that, that's my point, right? He's, he's not like, he's not just out there in the ether like Stephen King or Neil Gaiman, where I would put him on like the Mount Rushmore of great modern stories. I'm telling you, to the normies out there. We're not doing there, Mount Rushmore. No. To the normies yeah. out there? Oh. <laughs> well, I want to see a woke Mount Rushmore. <laughs> anyway, uh, so long story short, Terry Pratchett's Discworld. I've read a number of the books over the years, but I've never done the full read straight through. So now I'm into the tour, tour.com reread or- by Emmett Asher Perrin. They have multiple articles per book. 
and I am really enjoying. I went back and I read The Color of Magic, the very first one, which is probably the like my least favorite one. And I have not read many of the 44 books in the series. So I'm looking forward over the next few years to just going all through Discworld. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Tor. Tor? How do you say it? Tor? Tor.com? T-O-R. How do you pronounce that? Tor. 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 What do yeah. I say? Tor. Tor. I have total... PSD <laughs> about the word because Amanda Foresteros and J.R. Foresteros <laughs> mocked me relentlessly for years about how I say the word T-O-U-R so I would say like this band is going on tour and they'd be like tour tour not tour and like, I, no, I would, I would say, right, I would that's say, a concert tour I would say tourist and not tourist tourist like so I have completely lost the ability to say any variation tour. of this word and I hate the JR smiles and laughs when I try. And even, it's the same thing with horror. Now I can't even say horror. horror. So, yeah. I, I absolutely hate being around my best friends when I have to say <laughs> any version of those two words. I'm His reading an article. going on tour. Yeah, you're reading an article on yeah. tour.com. Tour. I said. You're trying to works. catch this band on tour. Yeah, yeah. We get no it. com. We okay. get it. So, hey, we all have our struggles, okay? All right. The headline, well, the headline is Terry Pratchett's awesome. Everybody should read the Discworld books. Up-and-coming author Terry oh Pratchett. My <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's so super famous, how come you never talk to him in conversation with me? Or Matt. You guys, you guys, have. You guys never bring him up. I'm the only Terry Pratchett okay. fan on this podcast. It's probably true. <laughs> Well, anyway, folks, <laughs> um, this has been the Fascinating Podcast, <laughs> episode number 336. We would love to know what you think about uh, representation in media, how it's changed, where it still has room to grow. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter using the ha uh, hashtag fascinating, or you can go to facebook.com slash the fascinating podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another terrific episode. Until then. Uh, it is spooky season, will, so... Will uh, the next I, episode be a tour de force? I think it's just going to be a tour de force. Oh, you... <laughs> oh, the horror. A tour de force. Yeah. Um, yeah. October. All right. Stay tuned. Find out. But until then, friends, be well, even if those who love you mock you relentlessly for how you say certain words. You can't do a Lord of the Rings episode without having five false endings. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Oh my so, God. Kathy, take us out. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Kathy. Would you benedict Stop this? recording. <laughs> <laughs> she stopped recording. All right, folks. See you next time. <sighs>